This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being, being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. Experience does not come with a label or name tag pinned to its lapel announcing what it is. The dance of light and color in the evening sky does not say, I'm a sunset. The clear, sparkling liquid racing down the mountainside doesn't announce to us, I'm a river. No, it is we who supply the labels. Experience arrives as it is, presenting as various qualities, characteristics, attributes, and textures. And those very qualities that make up what we call experience also comes with no narrative attached. They arrive naked and unadorned by any ideas we might entertain about them. Now, most of us have experienced the way in which certain moments, such as listening to music, making love, or seeing some awesome display of nature are beyond the reach of words. We recognize that such moments are simply too vast, too rich, and too multifaceted to be captured by any of our descriptive frameworks. But as it turns out, this is the case with all experience. We search for love, for happiness, for well-being, for peace. At times, we feel as if we found whatever it is we're aspiring to realize, experiencing a moment where all seems unimaginably well, a moment of great vitality, happiness, or ease. And then it slips away, doesn't it? For this is the nature of experience, to disappear no sooner than it has appeared. Experiences always come, and they always go. It's unavoidable. The waves of perception are temporary, rising up and then returning from whence they came, only to be replaced by the next perceptual wave that appears. And no matter how hard we may try to sustain those states that we typically equate with happiness and peace, we're simply unable to do so. At every turn, we find ourselves faced with the stark reality that despite our best efforts to obtain and then hold in place our positive states of mind, we are powerless to realize any kind of actual permanence or continuity because discontinuity is all there is. The river of experience never holds still. There are no frozen frames in the movie that is life even if language gives us the impression that there are discrete moments with clear beginnings and ends. Life never remains the same, but is always on the move. Now, conventionally, we equate well-being with particular types of experience. We believe that happiness is dependent upon the flow of life looking a certain way, comfortable, happy, 
And imagine that when it appears different, uncomfortable, and unhappy, well-being is somehow absent. But what if there is another order of well-being altogether? One discovered not in the usual way we label our experiences, but rather in the flow of experiencing itself. What if well-being could be found not in particular, seemingly discrete perceptual states that are by nature fleeting, but in the continuous flow of perceiving itself—a flow that is by its very nature uninterrupted? Valeria interviews John Aston, the author of this extraordinary moment, moving beyond the mind to embrace the miracle of what is. John Aston is the author of four books exploring the nature of reality. Too intimate for words. This is always enough. Searching for rain in a monsoon, and his most recent, this extraordinary moment, New Harbinger, 2018. He is also a singer, songwriter, and recording artist, having produced seven CDs of original spiritual contemplative music. In addition to his writing and music, John is a professor of counseling and clinical psychology at Santa Clara and Notre Dame de Namur universities. He holds a PhD in health psychology and is an internationally acclaimed scholar in the field of mind-body medicine. His teaching and research focusing on the applications of meditative contemplative practices in psychology and healthcare. Here is the interview with John Aston. In your own words, who is John Aston?、Uh, I am. Gosh, what a what a what an impossible question! <laughs> I'm so many things.、Uh, in any moment, I might be something else.、Uh, but in terms of my different、um, things I'm up to in this life, I'm a、um, psychologist. I'm a, a writer. I'm a songwriter. I'm、um, I guess some some would call me a spiritual teacher.、Um, And、uh, those those different hats that I wear are are all very much kind of integrated、uh, into into my work, and I'm expressing and sharing very similar things through each of those roles that I play. So,、um, and I'm also a father, and、um, yeah, a lover of existence. I sometimes like to say. <laughs> I love that. Never heard it that way. Thank you. So I have a few warm-up questions before we talk about some of the topics in your book. This extraordinary moment, moving beyond the mind to embrace the miracle of what is.、Uh, my first warm-up question is: What is life to you, John? I sometimes say that、um, there's sort of two. You could say there's kind of two approaches to. Spirituality,、um, broad categories.、Uh, the one that we're most familiar with is sort of what I would I would call kind of life improvement, improving our experience, improving our circumstances,、um, and、uh, which is wonderful. You know, it's a wonderful thing to to try to endeavor to do.、Uh, and there's another kind though that's really not very common in my travels and. But it's really what what a lot of my work is fundamentally about, which is exploring not so much focusing on life improvement, but actually exploring what life actually is. Like, what is this thing we call life that we are obviously experiencing? What could be called life,、um, the sense that we are alive. But what is that actually? And、um, I would say, 
to come back to your question, like, what is it is I, I would say, I don't actually know that, um, it's, 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 it's a fathomless mystery, ultimately what life is. Uh, and, um, that is in a nutshell, the essence of what my work is about is exploring what, what in fact life is, what, what experience is. So, um, Wow, that's um, you know that this is uh, it's something, right? Life is something. We just don't maybe we can't express, but we know we are alive, uh, or we are here. Like we're talking now, and this is happening. But uh, it's like an interesting dream. So if this is true, and this moment exists, and we are speaking now, you know, this is sort of something, experience, whatever we call it. What do you think would be the opposite of this? Um, you know, it's interesting. Uh, I like my consciousness can't like I can't conceive of an opposite opposite to to existence uh, to to we could say to to being um, because whatever whatever we might conceptualize as some opposite like non-existence, well, that, that, that would be something that we're calling non-existence, calling non-being. Um, and that would be another expression of, of life that we're calling another expression of reality. So in a sense, um, I don't, I can't I don't sense, I don't sense there is an opposite to life. There, there just is life. There's just, there's just my, my favorite word these days is, um, is this, <laughs> there's this, <laughs> call, it, call it reality, call it existence, call it here, right. call it being, um, but, but it has no opposite. Right. So I guess my next question has to do with what you talk about, you write about the experience of the moment the experience of what this is. <laughs> what is it? Like, what is the experience of this in this very moment? it seems like a natural point to kind of say a little bit about, um, you know, how I see my work in, in, in this sense, because it, I would say that we could say, as you were saying a moment ago, that it appears that something's going on here. We could call it experience. We could call it existence. Um, experience is also a word that seems very apt somehow. And, um, so if we say that experience is occurring, something is present and, and then whatever that is that's present, um, life or the intelligence of life, consciousness, whatever you want to call it, is, is, is rendering that in some way. It's interpreting that in some way. It's making sense of that. It's putting what's going on. It's putting this, um, the, the mystery of this moment, of the mystery of experience, it's putting it into some framework of understanding. It's describing it, it's labeling it, it's conceptualizing it, it's categorizing it, it's defining it in all the different ways that we do that from moment to moment. So even, and, and, and a lot of that is, is occurring, um, we could say implicitly, like it's, it's almost like if you close your eyes and then you open your eyes, there's suddenly what you would call a room, <laughs> if you're sitting in a room, um, that's filled with all sorts of objects, which you immediately already have names for you already know what all you've already in a sense interpreted where you are and what's your environment consists of to some degree right so um but what, what's really amazingly 
a remarkable thing to begin to explore is how and really what what the the book um, that you mentioned earlier that I wrote my last book is about is is exploring the ways in which our actual direct immediate experience um, doesn't actually map on that exactly uh, to what we think is going on. In fact, it deviates in some pretty astonishing ways from what we could call kind of conventional notions of reality, conventional ideas we're kind of carrying around mostly unconsciously about what's going on here. I think one of the one of the simplest, um, and I think also maybe most powerful, one of the most powerful examples of that is that we, the way we conceive of the world and talk about the world, think about the world, is in terms of things having some amount of duration, some amount of stability, some amount of continuity. Uh, so, and, and, and of course, that's what enables us seemingly to name things and describe things. And, and we think of ourselves and other people in our lives as, as kind of having continuity, like they endure over time, right? But, but when we actually look at experience itself directly, just feel experience, and it doesn't take you know, 20 years on a meditation cushion to see this, I don't believe. We can just look at your experience right now and see that it, it, has, it really doesn't have duration. It doesn't have, it's not stable. It's not holding still. It's it's constantly uh, constantly shifting. It's constantly morphing. It's 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 dynamic. It's you you ask earlier what is life, and one thing we could say about life is it's alive. It's not static. It's it's lively. It's dynamic. It's ever changing, right? And so so the perceptions that are occurring now, the thoughts, things that we would call thoughts, sensations, feelings, and so on, are it's as if they're arising, but they're very arising. Their very occurrence is also their vanishing and their disappearance. And that's the, that's, it's an extraordinary thing to kind of feel that because it, it, it upends in, in almost across the board every, everything we've come to believe life, in a sense. Um, and that, and discovering that also has a lot of, you know, implications also, which we can, you know, we can explore together. But that's, that's one, if, if we just feel, in a sense, our experience, which is my favorite kind of practice to suggest to people is just simply feel what's here, um, rather than merely conceive of what's here, but just to feel the presence of what's here, you can begin to recognize that the presence of what's here is slipping away uh, in every instant. And, and what's so amazing though, too, is that it's slipping away. And at the same time, there is a kind of, there is a sense of a kind of continuity of experiencing. So it's like the moment is, is slipping away, passing away, dissolving, like liquidating, you know, in every instant. And yet there's a sense of a presence, a hereness of that, that never goes away. <laughs> So it's kind of very paradoxical. It's like something's always here, and yet what's here is always changing, always changing, and yet always here, always changing, and yet always here. And that's a, just a really a, a, a remarkable thing to see that and to feel the reality of that. Yes, yes, um, yes, a thousand times. 
uh, that makes me think what prevents us to uh, see what we can describe as magic is, yeah, is thinking. So it seems like we are somehow obsessed with thinking, or maybe thinking is obsessed with us. I don't know. <laughs> the way I, that made me think, the way you, you talk, trying to describe this, which is very paradoxical, the here now, but it's not, um, yeah, it's always changing, but at the same time, it's, it never went anywhere. It's always here, here. Right. There's a, yeah, there's a sense of a, of a constancy of it. Yeah. And yet it's very, I mean, in a way you can't really determine this, this is, this is, I would say kind of the, the, the final conclusion to, you know, you ask, well, what life is, you know, at the beginning, which is, we could say, what is experience? And that, that you can't get, you can't pin it down. You can't get to the bottom of what it is in a sense. It has no bottom and you can discover that by, again, by feeling its nature, by feeling into it and discovering that it, it's, it's too, um, it's too slippery. It's too vast. It's too, um, it's too endless in its, in its complexity and in its detail and in its, um, and any, any piece that you, you explore and you look at and experience, I mean, it's very, it, and you, 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 this can be seen and it's a very, I tell my students, I also teach grad students in psychology about this stuff. And we were just talking the other night about this. And I was using the example of the metaphor of impressionist painting that from one perspective, and, and this is an important point, I think, to make also about my work, which is um, that, that notion that you can't get to the bottom of what things are, you can't ultimately define, pin down what, what, what this is, we could say is, is one perspective um, on reality, one perspective on life or experience. But it's not the only one. It just happens to be a very powerful one and one that's largely kind of seems to be sort of unrecognized. Um, by most of us, but, but cause from one perspective, we can say, well, I absolutely know, you know, that I'm, I'm looking at a, I mean, my computer's in front of mm -hmm. me and well, I know what that is. It's a computer, right? <laughs> and if I'm feeling sad, I, I know what that is. I have a name for it. It's sadness. Or if I'm feeling joy, what I would call joy, well, I know exactly what that is. It's joy and it's not sadness. It's, it's, it, it's the same thing with, um, you know, flavors of food. Like I, I know what, what chocolate is, it's chocolate. And I know what vanilla is, and it's not chocolate. And so this is a, this very kind of curious thing about the, the full kind of, you know, wildly rich range of, of human experience that we encounter in the course of the moments of our lives, um, with all this incredible diversity of, of texture and flavor and, and qualities, right, to, to what we're encountering moment to moment. And and the paradox is, is it, it, it seems as if we can identify those differences. We can make these distinctions from one thing, from one, you know, one thing from another, and from sadness as distinct from joy, as I was saying. And yet, when you go to explore what any of those flavors is in, in its essence, you try to get to, okay, well, what is, what is sadness, actually? What is the flavor I'm calling chocolate? It's like, I know exactly what it is. It's chocolate or, I, or it's sadness. But then when you actually go to explore it, you, you literally come up empty handed. You cannot get to, you cannot arrive at the, at the final conclusion of what it is. And, and, and the metaphor that I was starting to, to mention is that the, that's, 
there's several that capture this, but one is the the Impressionist painting, where from one perspective, you're looking at the painting, Monet, let's say, and you can see like, oh, well, there it is, you know, it's lilies on a on, on water, you know, one of the famous Monet paintings that he's done. And it's like, that's from one perspective, that's exactly what it is, you can see it very clearly. But when you get up closer to the painting, right? So from another perspective, you get really close to the painting, and suddenly, it becomes less clear what what is actually there in fact the image it becomes very ambiguous and you see color you see flashes of you, know, you see paint on a canvas and um and it's it's very much like that with our experience when you get up metaphorically speaking you know you get up close to experience you look very carefully at it, what it is what its nature is you feel its nature and suddenly you would think that you would know more about what it is the closer you right, look right, right. It's the opposite. But the, <laughs> so you look, it's the opposite in a sense. It's, why? Because it's like you discover, you discover more and more and more and more about what it is. It's just like a person, like your, your partner or your, your child or your friend. So you think like, okay, the, the, the more time I spend with this person, the, the closer I am, the closer I look to who they are, I'll finally get to the, I'll get to the essence of who, you know, who, who that person is, right? And, but actually, no, you just keep discovering more and more and more. So in a sense, the more you look, the less you know, because you discover that person or yourself or any experience you encounter is like a universe upon universe upon universe of, of, of dimensions and aspects and qualities and characteristics that you could never hope to put into some kind of neat and tidy little box, some little definition, some identity, some framework. It's not possible to do that, not, not ultimately. And that, to, 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 to begin to appreciate that, to see that and appreciate that, you start to, one starts to realize how open-ended things are, how indefinable things are, how, how free everything is all of the ideas that we have mm, about right. what things are. Like everything is liberated from all of the notions that we might have about what that thing is. Mm. And that to me is what freedom is, the deepest about realizing that. I mean, it seems like you're reading my mind too, which is interesting. <laughs> and you can feel it. It's not just, it's not a concept. So the more you talk, the more, yeah, I feel the freedom. Yeah, whatever we describe as freedom, there's no limits. Right. It is incredible. Like we, yeah, we think of ourselves as, as being, you know, we imagine ourselves as definable. And we, and yet, if we look, we can see that we're not, that we're, 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 we're already we're already by our very nature, not something that has to be achieved. It's not a freedom that we have to achieve. It's yeah, a freedom wow. is just the case that, that it's free. We're, we're, we are free and everything is free from yeah. all notions of what, what anything actually is, all ideas, all conceptual interpretive frameworks. And that's a, that's, it's, um, well, there's, of course, no words for that. <laughs> it's the whole point. <laughs> so, so it's a very curious thing to be. Uh, I mean, I write books about this stuff, which is kind of laughable, right? Because it's like I'm, you know, my last book had had how many words in it? I don't know. 
a lot. But, you know, the, 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 the constant refrain throughout the book is that, that this can't be encapsulated with words or concepts <laughs> or ideas. And yet, you know, I try to use words, um, whether I'm speaking them as I am now or writing them mm. so that they can maybe evoke a little sense right. or yeah, taste of, of that indescribability, that inconceivability, um, that indefinable nature of what's here. And, you know, I, I mentioned earlier that, that I'm also a, function as a psychologist and teach college students, graduate students in psychology and yeah. uh, in particular people who are training to be therapists. Mm -hmm. And even though I'm not a licensed therapist myself, um, my, all these explorations and mm -hmm. discoveries about how what is here, our experience yeah. transcends our ideas about it, has huge, just profound, powerful implications yeah. for, um, for free, it also frees us from all of the, how can I say it? You know, you think about what, what brings a person, say, to oftentimes to a, a therapist or maybe a spiritual teacher where there's, they have some sense of being stuck in something, some, some aspect of their experience or their life, or they they feel as if they're trapped inside of X, Y, or Z identity or experience or circumstance. And, um, and so it's so powerful to begin to realize that when, to see how, how open-ended everything actually is. And then when you discover that, you begin to get a very strong taste of um, that we're not actually caught in the states of mind and identities that we imagine we're caught in because those things, they don't hold up under scrutiny as being actually things with concrete boundaries and definitions. It's like being, you know, instead of being something concrete, it's like, it's more cloud-like, you know, it's like, it's, it's shifting, morphing indefinability. And it's like, how can you be stuck in that? <laughs> you know, you're stuck in that. Um, and, and also the person who imagines him or herself to be stuck in something is also that open-ended, indefinable, cloud-like, ever-changing. Um, yeah. And so, um, that, that changes, that changes things <laughs> quite a bit. <laughs> yeah, it, it can change everything, actually. You talk about things that I understand intellectually, but I also, things that I experience on a daily basis, not as a practice, but just, um, yeah, I'm open to it. <laughs> Whatever life is, is just beautiful. And I can feel in your words. So it's not in, in the words, not about the words. It's how they resonate. And that's interesting. Yeah, it resonates uh, true when you talk. It is. It's a, it's a, yeah, I mean, you know, everything is so mysterious and, and language is certainly one of those things. I mean, what is actually even transpiring when we're speaking words to one another? I mean, it's some wild kind of exchange of, you know, like, isn't it something, you know, like here we are, we're having a conversation, what we would call a conversation. We're using words and concepts, right? And there's this back and forth. Yeah. But what's actually going on is like this, it's quite something. I mean, it's this marvelous, inexplicable, miraculous 
um, I don't know, what would you call it? A kind of a dance of, um, I don't know. I, I, I don't know how to really describe it, but um, yeah. yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it one. Yeah. It's almost it does. stops conversation, it, it conventional exactly. conversation. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And, and yet, funny enough, wow. it's it's like, even though, you know, I've been saying all along in our in our conversation this far that that you know when you, when you explore this and you you come up empty-handed, you know, it's like you can't get to the bottom of what things are. That that mm-hmm. it's not um, I mean, I'm talking about uh, you know a term in, in Buddhism that I don't mention in my book ever, which is emptiness, because it's, it's a word that just doesn't feel apt somehow. Um, and it feels potentially misleading too, because I think there's people have a lot of sort of negative associations with the word because it, in, a, in a way it's, it's much more a sense of, a of a, just an un, unthinkable fullness really that is so you may not be able to pin down what experience is. And yet it's just unimaginably dense in its richness and its vibrancy and its um, luscious um, meaningfulness somehow is what I would say. And uh, e- even though I'm, I'm throwing words at something that, you know, is beyond words, I'm attempting to capture a little bit of the, the flavor of, of, um, of life itself in a sense of, in its more bare, primal kind of nature at its root, we could say. It's funny because we often think about life, about life, but we are life itself. So, and that's what I hear when you're, you're talking to me is life talking. It's like life itself using sounds of a human voice. Right. Life, that listen, is, uh... life, that's a conversation is life listening to itself, life exploring itself, life, uh, sort of uh, reveling in itself and tasting itself and um, enjoying itself, actually. Yeah, right, right. So fascinating that we can have this experience. <laughs> um, the flavor that you talked about, there's so many flavors in this, uh, the relative reality, and we can get distracted with so many things, so concepts and ideas in our minds. For this um, experience that is untouched by the human mind in a sense of logical thinking. I think the closest thing that I can associate with is imagination. It feels really freeing when I'm imagining. And this kind of now, it's like that in a way. Um, yeah, you know, I, 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 uh, I, I mentioned, you know, before we started um, our, you know, formal conversation here, recording that uh, about my being a musician and um, so, you know, I'm, I'm very curious about creativity and, and that feels obviously closely linked to imagination. And, um, I really, I really feel in a way that, um, you know, this, what we were talking about earlier of kind of like recognizing that things are not actually constrained by these boxes of understanding that we've developed. It, 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 it kind of and the liberating nature of that, I, I believe, as I think you're also suggesting, is that, that the recognition of that can also free up a kind of more unbounded sort of creativity. Um, and, you know, even when you think about, like, um, you know, problem solving, for example, like, um, 
and it would be way too big a detour to get into right now to talk about you know what we're facing you know this this situation that the world's facing right now um but you think about you know lots of intelligences around the world are trying to figure out how to address this but how willing are we to as we bring our different sort of frameworks and maps of understanding to the problem at hand like how how much capacity or willingness is there to um, really open it up, open up the conversation um, to explore all, you know, all sorts of possible solutions to it that maybe that we haven't imagined yet. And sometimes what can happen or oftentimes is that when we're, when we're, when we're kind of living primarily inside of our knowledge of how to proceed with something, right? That's our framework, our not what we know to be the case. We, we may be limiting what's possible um, in terms of responding in creative, imaginative ways because we're, we're not actually recognizing that, um, that our knowledge always represents, um, our knowledge is always limited because it's put a box around something, as we were saying, that, um, and so I, I really feel like there is a kind of natural almost consequence of, of, of more and more familiarizing ourselves with this unlimited, indefinable nature of experience and how that can sort of naturally um, sort of, I think, uh, kind of lead to kind of a freeing up of creativity and, and this kind of natural genius, I think, that exists, mm. you know, in, in all of us. Yes, I agree there. That's a great suggestion. <laughs> if someone with a lot of power is listening, um, but often, more often than not, yeah, they don't listen to people. Yeah, that that open. They come with these amazing uh, creative ideas that could solve actually everything. Yeah, systems they are based on knowledge, and yeah, it feels very much like a prison. Every when I think about systems, yeah, I think about boxes and you know a way of thinking that has to be always the same in re is that repetition well and this is kind of you know one of the things that um you know we with the human consciousness creates these frameworks of understanding generates these maps of what's going on here to try to make sense of it right and in in, in just in life in general in different fields of endeavor and so on and even in the creative arts where there's these kind of frameworks of like this is these are the rules, you know. <laughs> this is the structure that we're operating with, right? right? And that's true. Yes, yeah. Those can be certainly useful. I mean, there they are. Here they are. You know, we, we've we've life has generated these frameworks, and so they have their mm. their perspectives that right. that are valid, you know, from within their yes. own perspectives. But yeah. but but what? And we we right. see this all the time, where we have a tendency to get locked into those frameworks. Yeah. And imagine that they are all encompassing. They're, that they're some act, somehow the truth. You know, they're like the final word on, 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 on whatever it is. Our ideas of ourselves or someone in our life or how to solve problems and so on. And and then we 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 miss the reality, which is, as we've been saying in the whole conversation, that no, this what's going on here right. is beyond yeah. our knowledge, yeah. and. The more we can see that, I think the more we'll start to kind of still maybe use maps and interpretations 
to, to, to look at life and have perspectives, because that seems to be part of our experience as a human. And yet, there's, I think, a natural kind of um, thing that begins to emerge where those frames of reference are, are increasingly held much, much more <laughs> fluidly and flexibly right. and light, lightly because we recognize <laughs> the inherently limited partial nature of all frameworks. So I, kind of, I sometimes laugh when I hear people like, wow, you're really right. so convinced of your point of view. That's hysterical. Like, right. how you possibly know that you have the final mm-hmm. answer to this. And yet, right? I mean, you listen to, if you turn on the news, you know, most nights, that's what you hear is people being pretty certain of their point of view. It's like, I just kind of chuckle because it's like increasingly seems laughable to me. It's like, what do you mean, sir? You're like, you're staring in the face. You're, st- you're staring into the abyss of uncertainty. And, um, and here, you know, you're trying to arrive at some degree of certainty. And it's just funny, but sometimes tragic, too. <laughs> oh, yes. Right. Do you think it, it has to do with fear? Well, that, that's a good question. I mean, it seems like... Um, it seems like there's some pretty strong currents within us as organisms to feel like we want, like there's, a, there's an impulse, like a desire to have certainty um, about, well, just about anything. And, but you know what, what, what I say to, to people with whom, when I'm working with them, it's like, okay, yeah, that's understandable. And I could, and, and as I start to open up a, an inquiry into just how unpredictable reality actually is you know it's not it's not like if you look at the whole coronavirus thing it's not like suddenly life just became more un, uncertain and unpredictable no it's always that way <laughs> it became more obvious now it yeah. became more yeah. obvious exactly right. because we don't know you and i don't know the next is the next breath going to come to us so that we can continue this conversation we have no idea that's true we just don't know yeah we don't know the next moment we never do um and so that might at first you know glance feel like an overwhelming thing to to let in you know like because of those impulses we have for knowledge and certainty and security but but actually it's it's what we can really bank on you know if you want to bank on something if you want to find a ground which is a natural impulse the ground is this groundlessness, this uncertainty, this ambiguity, this, that's the ground. And that's, that's actually solid. Like you can count on that. The other ground is you think is secure and safe and certain is actually really flimsy because it doesn't hold up. But the other ground, the groundless ground that holds up. So you can count on that one. <laughs> well, that's a great uh, way of saying that. That's true. Because that ground that you speak of, the one that's uh, boundless, it holds everything. It has everything in it. It's all there is, really. <laughs> There's nothing else. And that um, brings me into that question about um, suffering, because this is something that I know is most uh, caused by our concepts, what we believe in. But then um, there's also physical suffering when we are, you know, a body that's dying of, I don't know, chronic disease, suffering with chronic pain and all that. Do you think that this understanding would help them somehow with physical pain? Yeah, I think I, yeah, no, I mean, I think it, I think it certainly can. I mean, um, I've experienced, you know, my, my own life, um, you know, both 
you know, what I could call physical pain or more kind of psychic, psychological kinds of pain that, um, you know, when we just bump up against something that we find, you know, difficult, uncomfortable, painful, and so on, it seems to be part of, part of life. And, um, maybe, maybe inescapable part of being seemingly embodied creatures. I don't know, but let's just say we all, we're all quite familiar with that experience. And, um, so yeah, so I mean, I, there's, there's a chapter in my book, which was one of the last chapters that I, I wrote and, and I, I'm glad that I did. And it came out of a, a conversation I was having with, with a friend who, when they read an earlier draft, they, they felt like, it feels like you're somehow denying, you know, human suffering, like the existence of suffering. And I said, oh, oh okay, I better address that. So I wrote a, a kind of a mock dialogue that I was having with her, um, imagining having with her around that question of, you know, what is suffering? Is suffering real? Because I, as, as you know, we're talking earlier, um, you know, you look at any phenomena and you give it a label. And then I'm suggesting that when you explore what that is that you've labeled and defined, you, you can't actually find the definite, you know, you can't define it actually. Um, in a sense, it's not really a thing. Uh, and so, the, but the paradox is, is that um, it's like, it's like living sort of with simultaneous realities or simultaneously true perspectives in a way. Because from one perspective, like, and I tell a story of in the in the book in that chapter where I was dealing with some unbelievable like wrist pain that was I don't know it was some tendonitis I don't know what it was but I was like on my knees I I it was so painful and I finally ended up taking um, I think it was prednisone for it just for like a couple of weeks because I was just out of my gourd like it was so painful so but in the midst of that you know there was my experience which was you know. Um, it was very prominent in my experience was that those sensations that I could all call pain that I had an opportunity to ex explore just as I was describing earlier, like, well, what is this actually? Like, what is this phenomena that I'm labeling pain? And so it was this very curious thing because I would, I would feel into what it was in a sense, like explore it, um, experientially. And it's the same thing that I always find, which is I, I, I can't, I can't get to, I can't find it. I can't get to the bottom of what it is. Like, oh, there it is. It's pain. I understand what it is now. It's like, no, I just keep going deeper and deeper. And it's just like fathomless, bottomless well of infinity, you know, what I never quite get to the bottom of. And, and that is very freeing to touch into that perspective on what we could call, you know, human pain or human discomfort is to also realize it simultaneously with like, oh yeah, this really hurts like hell from one perspective, from that other perspective. It's like, I don't even know what it is. And, and, and it changes often in, in profound ways, the whole sense of like navigating that discomfort and feeling a sense of, um, you know, it's as if you're less sort of it doesn't necessarily diminish the discomfort, but it like, it just changes it. And I've seen the same thing with, you know, really like deep states of grief and loss, you know, where you, you do, the, do the same exploration and it's like, there's, that's a real thing. It's a real human thing. You lose something that you love or value, 
a relationship ends or someone passes away. And it's like, yeah, that's like a nitty gritty human phenomena of like this thing that I so value and so love is now gone. And so you're experiencing, let's say, you know, grief and loss and heartbreak or whatever. And yeah, that, that's, that's an experience. And then you have this opportunity to look and see, well, what is that actually? Like, what is, I say, I say in, in my work, you know, what, what is experience, any experience that we're having and labeling in one way or the other, what, what is it made of? Like, what's the substance of, what's the, you know, in the same way that the substance of um, matter is, you know, atoms and subatomic particles and so on down the quantum, you know, wormhole. What, what is, what is our, what are the, what are the particles, if you will, of experience? Like it's the greatest ecstasy or the most terrible grief. Like what, 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 what is that actually? It's just an extraordinary I mean, to me, it's just such an obvious question, such an astonishing question, and such a such a liberating question to sparse. Like, what what is this? What what is this? And and so then then you can discover um, the ways in which these again these human experiences that can sometimes feel just completely overwhelming to us again from from that one you could say human perspective from another perspective are, you know, if I put it in theological terms are, are none other than divinity, none other than the absolute reality, God. And cause they're made of whatever everything is made of. They're made of pure, inconceivable mystery. Like everything's. Yeah. I like that word a lot. A mystery. Yeah, it is a mystery. And, um, a question came to mind about, um, do you ever think, or trying to imagine um, what this whole experience is about, like how it happened, like why and why? Why does it have to be this way? Why do we have to be in a human body, be aware that we are here now and, and suffer, yeah, physically, have the pain and all? Like, do you ever ask that question to yourself? You know, I totally understand the question. And um, but somehow it doesn't seem to occur for me. Um, can't say why exactly, but it's sort of like, there's just a sense, uh, I think increasingly in my life of, um, you know, things can't be any other way than the way that they are, you know, and, and you, you could say like, you know, why does the, why is life this way? Why is what we think of as human existence and human, the human experience and incarnation or whatever we don't want to call it why is it this way why and it is this way because um it's the nature of life to be this way clearly oh. <laughs> which is why it is it's like it's like if you were to say you know why you look out and look at my window right now at some trees and it's like well how come the tree is growing that way because mm. <laughs> <laughs> it is its nature it's, uh, its nature to grow that way <laughs> obviously uh, <laughs> uh, been beyond that i mean probably not a satisfactory answer but um you know why do humans get confused and experience all the you know things that they experience that can be difficult um it would appear that it, it is reality or life's nature to do that to 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 
sort of, you could say, kind of miss itself seemingly to, to maybe not recognize itself fully um, and then go on a search for itself in all the ways that humans search for um, right. the different things that they search for. And uh, it, they, right. it just seems to be the nature of life that it, that it operates that way. Because <laughs> here it is. <laughs> <laughs> right. But it, when we ask, like I often ask a lot of questions, uh, but I do because, uh, and it feels sometimes like it's very much like it's non-existence asking questions. Like what is existence? What, what is all this here? So it's coming from a place of non-existence. Why would I ask these questions? I, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, it seems like there's also, um, I don't know. It seems like one of the almost primal qualities of reality or life is a kind of a curiosity, like a kind of, a, um, you know, I mean, you see it, I, I've had kids before, but, um, I have a daughter and, you know, it was very obvious at the very beginning of her life that she came into the world, you know, curious. And, um, that was like her nature was curiosity. And it seems to be that the nature of children and, you know, what, and what, what are they asking? They're looking at phenomena and they're going, what, what is this? Oh, wow. So <laughs> why this is, is this? it? Because they and, yet don't know. They are still learning about this reality. So they are in that space of not knowing anything of non-existence. And then they are questioning existence. I think it's almost whether the questions are that we're framing are more, you know, let's say conceptual or intellectual kind of curiosities or experiential curiosities. Like I want to taste this kind of food or, you know, experience this kind of sexual experience or experience this kind of, um, music or, um, experience this moment, you know, in nature or, ex I mean, you know, it's, it's endless, right? It's, it's like, maybe it's a similar thing. Maybe it's a similar kind of curiosity of that life has, um, it's like, it's, it's as if life or reality is like a, it's like an experience junkie, you know, it just wants to experience all of this because here it's having this experience, like not to anthropomorphize it too much and say somehow, you know, that it's wanting somehow to have all of this experience. But in a sense, it's like, it's definitely having experience and, um, and there's a sense, at least Maya, and I'm sure you can appreciate this too from, from your, you know, explorations that it's like, this just seems to be happening. Like it has a will of its own somehow, you know, it's like, it, it, uh, it, it, it just, um, I mean, it's here it is, you know, it's, it's having, like we could say like you and I, for example, like we as, as people, as individuals had desire to have a conversation with each other, which fueled the conversation we're now having, right? That would be one way of explaining why we're having this conversation is it was a desire, an impetus, curiosity, but we, it's impossible to explain like where that desire is like, where is it? Where's your desire to talk coming from? Like, what's the root of that? And where my desire to say yes to, to the invitation to have a conversation, where did that come from? It's like, I could mm -hmm. try to explain it, but that would yeah. be a joke, you know, cause I can't really explain it. It comes from, yeah. Hey, who knows where it comes from. Yeah. It comes from oh, my yeah. self because it, like I said, life's nature to have desire <laughs> and have and have these have, be moved in the ways that it's moved and uh, i mean it's just uh 
Uh, I appreciate your presence. I really appreciate your presence, John. Well, the feeling's mutual. Yeah, it was a total pleasure to, um, to explore a little bit of this with you. So thank you for the, the invitation. And my last technical question, where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services, and future projects? Probably my, my website's probably the easiest. It's just my name, johnaston.com. And I'm also on social media, um, Instagram. I, my, my, my handle on social media is um, this is always it. I love that too. <laughs> <laughs> this is always it. Kind of sums it up. <laughs> yeah, right. That's so simple. Uh, at the same time, so complex. <laughs> it's so fascinating, everything else in between. Thank you so much again, and we'll talk soon. Thank you, Valeria. Okay. Bye for now, John. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. To learn more about John Aston, please visit his website, www.johnaston.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. I want to thank the Patreon members, Lawrence McGrath, Mark Basden, Terry Clayton, and Aidan Vickrock. Thank you again for listening, and bye for now.